My Biggest Sales Enablement Mistake, a podcast by Eva Enable. Welcome to another episode of My Biggest Sales Enablement Mistake podcast, where we share common mistakes and experiences from a variety of guests so others can learn from them. Today, I'm joined by a man that doesn't really need an introduction. He's so well known in the enablement world, he doesn't even need to use his full name. He joins the ranks of Professor X, Agent J and M. He was voted one to watch earlier this year by Sales Enablement Collective. He's a revenue acceleration expert. And if that wasn't enough, he's also a dad to twins. He is, of course, Coach K, otherwise known by his alter ego, Jonathan Carford. We've got a lot on your plate, Coach K, so thank you for joining me today. Wow, Kate, I tell you what, you are going to write those intros. I'm, I'm <laughs> flattered. Thank you for that. Professor X and Coach K, I'm going to use that. That's great. <laughs> You've got the superpowers to, to <laughs> The superpowers. Uh, That's absolutely. what they are, but there's something. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, right, well, I'm really excited to, to be joining because today we're going to be talking about a pretty hot topic. One that the enablement world has had a hard, but I personally think necessary awakening to, um, because we're going to be talking about the problem of having no way of measuring the impact of coaching. So straight into it, Coach Kate, why do we need to measure it? Surely just embracing coaching is enough, right? Surely just doing coaching is enough. Yeah, great first questions to jump right in. First off, Kate, (laughs) huge fan of you and your company, what you guys do. Thank you for having me on. Uh, Sincerely honored and flattered. So thank you for that, first off. Um, And uh, for your question, I've talked about this on another podcast, but I came from the world of life coaching. And this is kind of the same thing in life coaching, the same conversations, because there's a lot of people who did life coaching and people would have really good fluffy sessions where they felt good afterwards, but then their life didn't change. And then eventually, you know, after six months of paying for life coaching, someone's like, uh, why am I doing this? You know? <laughs> um, and I, I was one of those life coaches who pushed people, other coaches and said, Hey, if you're not making something change in their external world to make things better then what in the world are you doing? You know? Um, and it's so it's an interesting thing. Yeah. D- d- don't do something for the sake of doing it. Unless yeah, it's, it's like a hobby or something, right? But you're doing yeah. something that because you want to change something. Yeah, I mean, it's if that's what you want to get out of it. But for, I've never met someone who went to life coaching thinking, I'm not going to change anything in my life. I just want to mm. have sessions and pay for them. <laughs> so um, <laughs> to me, it's like the same thing with, with sales coaching. It's like um, in, in my course I did for the Sales Amulet Collective, I, I define it as um, bringing out, unleashing someone's greatness in with measurable impact. Um, so you, you have to have a way to measure it. Um, and, and, you know, I just, I don't know if, I don't know if Canal told you about this or not, but I joined recently as one of the founding consultants of his new sales velocity labs company, which is awesome. Congratulations. And, thank you. And we obviously use sales velocity as one of the main things we use. And I did this before I ever joined him, but we use sales velocity as one of the KPIs to measure the impact just because, um, you know, seeing that on a, on a rep to rep basis or team by team or whatever can show you a lot about where strengths or weaknesses lie. And that's, that's the other part of coaching is just knowing, you know, like what what your whole system does, it measures where the weaknesses are so you can fix it. Because the very first thing you do in any coaching environment is you assess. And if you can't assess and measure what's happening now, how are you going to improve what you have no idea what's being measured in the first place? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I love that. I love that. Just for those listening, can you give us a little bit more around that sales velocity piece? I'm, I'm very familiar with it, but people listening might not be. 
Yeah, so uh, sales velocity is a mixture of four different KPIs that are kind of put together to, to basically say how much money are you making in a day as a team, individual, or company. So it's, you're taking four KPIs of number of opportunities, average sale price, close ratio, and deal cycle. And when you mix them all together, you just figure out, um, I mean, it's it's a lot more obviously technical than that. And there's a specific formula. But the point is, is that it it spits out a number saying this is how much money you're making, you know, with, with this particular team. Mm -hmm. um, what we use it as is, is we kind of use, um, I love what we do because we use the Franklin Covey. I'm an ex-Franklin Covey person, so I'm huge on end in mind. And we say, okay, what is the revenue in mind for this company? What's the quota in mind for this rep? And then we look at what are their current sales velocity numbers? So the average sale price, close mm -hmm. ratio, number of ops, um, and then the deal cycle. And then we say, okay, in order for you to hit your quota or revenue number for your company, these have to increase, decrease, whatever. They have to change by this amount to get there. Yeah. Or we can play around and be like, okay, what if we change close ratio instead of the sales cycle? Or, you know, you can, you can play with each one of them. But usually if you move each one of those dials by one to 5% max, which is funny to think about because those little, little levered poles have dramatic impact and in, in influence where you'll hit your numbers plus some just by having little measurable tiny changes in the in the flow with sales yeah. loss, um, which I love. So that's one of the main things I use, and it's it's been really impactful. And you're able to show the rep themselves. You know, you've went from here to here, and you give them a goal to work towards, so they're they're aware and involved in the process. So it sounds like that that if you think about grow as a coaching methodology or a really simple framework for coaching, right? That you've got your yeah. goal. That's what you talked about, like with the end in mind, that well, that's your goal. Like, what's the reality? Where are you against that? Where are all those levers, as you said, you can pull um, in terms of where you are? And then how do you bridge in your mind that that kind of measurement piece to, to the options? Like, how do you decide? How do you work to that? All right. So first question, tell me the first part again. So you're saying, how do you... So you've identified, right, you're not, you, your average deal cycle is yeah. too too long, right? Right. Mm -hmm. You can't just say shorten your average deal cycle, dude, like, because that's <laughs> going to change the world. Right? Right. So, so how do you, you know, because I think a lot of people are scared about moving from or using numbers in coaching because they feel like it's too prescriptive. So how do you move from this is a number to this is, this is a change in, in you? Yeah, so I'll give you another example using another um, another uh, KPI, but it kind of goes along with this. So um, there's another one where you measure the close ratio from sales stage to sales stage. So for example, going from discovery to demo or demo to proposal or proposal to negotiation mm -hmm. or whatever the stages are, and you look at them and say, okay, from discovery to demo, you're hitting 80%. From demo to proposal, you're hitting 20 Obviously, there's something happening in this process, right? Yeah. Um, and for sales cycles specifically, I use the sales stages to see where are deals dying for a particular rep or team? Mm -hmm. um, and then really diving into gong calls. If they don't have gong, then I literally will manually listen to every single call I can to understand the process or flow. Um, I, I want to understand the other side of it. So the customer buyer's journey to make sure we're aligning with that. And are we helping them? Or are we hindering the, the process with our own internal shenanigans? Um, and just really figuring out, okay, is this the lever to pull? Because sometimes I've been in industries where you can't do a whole lot to shift the buyer's journey because of the process that yeah. can that can be super intense as an RFP and board meeting approval and blah blah blah. You can't you can't expedite that, you know. Um, but you can do things to help 
them make decisions faster or to help their process better. So it's just really understanding what's the buyer's journeys like to make it more ideal. And then what's the, what's the salesperson's journey like to make sure that they're not having stuff get in their way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's that specifically, but like, to me, I always look at, like, for example, close ratio, I look at close ratio a little bit differently to where I say, okay, if you have a close ratio of 20% and you need to get to 25, the very first place I start is discovery. Um, not in their negotiation. I want to go way back to the beginning and be like, okay, nice, yeah. why why are we not having a higher rate? Because to me, closing ratio directly goes back to your discovery process throughout the entire customer experience. Yeah. Um, so to me, it's like, there is like, for example, the sales velocity labs, each one of those levers has a list of different things that you could do that are enablement um, specific. And there's also a list of things you can do that have nothing to do with enablement. Like, for example, you could raise your prices and that would change your average sale price, you know, and mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with me. Um, but we want to focus obviously on the things that we have control over and can influence. <laughs> um, and that's where you just take those lists of things and be like, okay, what is, what is going to apply with our team, with our industry, with what we're going through? And what do the numbers show? Where's the real weakness? Where can we make a big impact? Because like, for example, if close ratio is 10%, pretty sure I could double that within a few months working with the team and coaching versus saying, you know, we want to go from 45% the close ratio to 50. That's a little bit different. That's a little bit <laughs> difficult, you know? Yeah. So anyways. So, so in all of that, cause I couldn't agree with you more. I'm curious as to what enablement's role is in that. So, cause you know, traditionally yeah. a lot of what you were talking about is looking at like, sounds very sales leader driven or sales rep driven. So, so where does that relationship sit between sales and enablement then? Yeah. So I, um, I have a little bit different view on enablement where I think enablement is more about whether if I'm just sales enablement, I still think of this as my job is to make sure the customer experience is amazing. Um, and so I use my training, my coaching, my content all for the purpose of making sure the customer has a really good experience. Cause the more I can have that happen, the more successful a salesperson will be. That's hyperlined. Um, I love that. That's, that's literally not yeah. just, I'm there to enable the salespeople. That's I'm able, I'm there to enable that what the salespeople, the, the end impact of that, which is the customer. Yeah, it's like the customer. That. So that to me changes the content I create. It changes the decks we make. It changes how I train or coach someone specifically because I'm not thinking about them. I'm thinking about the customer, um, yeah. the end result. So uh, just again, to answer your question, it's more about, okay, so now we have these numbers. Um, I think I have, the cool thing about enablement is usually we don't have authority over the sales rep. So we can usually draw out things out of them that a manager may not just because it's a manager, you know, personal relationship. And there's things they can do that I can't, but there's things that I can do as a non um, authoritative, but supportive person that they can't do. Um, it really draw out some concerns or issues. I can actually be blunt with them because I don't, you know, they don't report to me and <laughs> I can be pretty blunt about stuff. Um, but also I can, I'm able to, show a different view of what enablement, or I'm sorry, not enablement, sorry, what the salesperson can do um, holistically. Because a lot of times I found that managers are really focused on just quota and that's it. I want to look at the whole person. Like, are they enjoying themselves? Are they having a good time? Are they motivated? Um, And and there are managers who do do that, obviously, but I have a little bit more bandwidth to do more of that than a manager does usually. Yeah. No, I like that. The whole person, I think it's, it's so important. I've had so often, you know, t- people in my team are struggling or, or not really performing, but can't get ahead in their career otherwise. And it's actually a, a mindset yeah. issue. It's nothing yeah. to do with their skill or their knowledge. You know, they're smashing it there. 
but but it it needs coaching to those elements and 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 actually having that pointed out to them i think that's that's so important yep i i want to move on just to to like what's the problem so like i get the help of course you and i are super aligned on on using data to coach but i'm interested in exploring the pitfalls of not using data to coach so so you know you start on your journey what 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 am I going to trip over if I don't you take that data-driven approach? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I, there's one thing I learned in the NBA was how powerful data can be. Because before that, I was really more of, I mean, I kind of mixed data with intuition, but I was very much a reliant intuition type person before. Um, and uh, there's a lot of times where I was wrong on intuitions because you don't always know the specifics, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so when you take objective measurements or, or if all of you, sorry, not objective, subjective, when you take subjective measurements, for example, saying this rep is a eight out of 10, but yet they're not hitting quota and haven't hit quota for years, mm-hmm. there's a problem. There's a gap there, you know? Yeah. Um, that and, or there's a lot of things that using data can show. Like for example, um, I, I don't know if you know the concept of of uh, Jahari's window or not. Um, I don't. Please, please oh. expand. So Jahari's window is a, a communication concept where it talks about the different parts of ourselves that we show people. So there's the part of ourselves that we don't ever see, but others see. And then there's the parts of ourselves that we see and other people see. Um, and then there's a part of ourselves that only we see and no one else sees. So it, it's about who we let ourselves be. And it kind of goes along with the levels of competency, meaning like, are you consciously incompetent or consciously mm-hmm. competent or not? Kind of the same concept, but it's more about how you come across. Um, and uh, to me, data is one of those things that can point out those spots because I don't always, someone will only show me a little bit of themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. And using yeah. data is a way to, again, see more of a holistic view of an individual. Um, just from, because in my mind, when I do measurements of, of salespeople, I use both objective and subjective measurements, not just mm-hmm. subjective. Um, and that gives me a better view of, of where they're at in an entire person. So I can really focus on, okay, where's the strengths and how can I make those better and where are the weaknesses and how can we improve them? Yeah. I like to and, think as well that, that, that using or not using data, you, you can hit a point where you think, well, we're kind of done. We, yeah. we, we can't identify any further areas because we feel like we feel we've I'm super experienced. You get that all the time with enterprise sales reps. I'm too, yep. you know, I'm too experienced to be coached. It's like, oh, I don't know if we actually <laughs> looked at the data and yeah, you're hitting your number, but it, imagine how much more you could achieve if you, yep. if you focused here, imagine we could, we could move the bar, you know, that the, we could learn from sport that is constantly trying to hit that next bar rather than, you know, just being settling for the fact that I hit quota all the time and it's fine. And I think that's often overlooked. We focus and think about the underperformers in, in coaching, and that's where we should focus. But actually, sometimes it's the overperformers. A, diagnosing what's driving the overperformance, but B, where could they even get better? You know, I think that's, yeah. that, that's a really interesting uh, kind of viewpoint as well. No, I totally agree with that. I think, um, you know, after using data so much, it's, it's kind of hard to sip out of it and think, okay, what would I do if I didn't have this? But one thing mm-hmm. I use all the time in coaching, especially with high performers, is data because it's not just, you know, you coming as an enablement person and I've been in sales a long time and I've, and I've know what I'm doing, but if I come into a, a experienced sales rep who's been doing this longer than I have, knows more than I do, sold more than I have, probably not going to listen to me. However, if I come in saying, listen, the data says this, and I bring up data they didn't know about that's value. And 
it levels the playing field in a way that um, we can focus on a brainstorming session together of how to improve specific numbers, you know, versus because there's times in coaching where if all I do is say, my opinion is this, it mm -hmm. doesn't always carry the weight you need when you say versus my opinion based on the data is this. That's a way different conversation. I absolutely um, love that. I love that. I think that that buy-in that you get, yeah. I always, I can't remember who I was talking to the other day, but I was, you know, the, the age-old enablement of being reactive, somebody coming saying, I need a course or I need content on this. Right. And then it being really disappointing that nobody engages in that, even, even in coaching, because it's, it's on request and it hasn't really hit the mark. Imagine that going to, to either a sales leader or a sales rep and saying mm -hmm. exactly what you've just said, which is, listen, the data tells me that, that you like struggling in this particular area or that, that, that you're not on, on benchmark there. How about if we improve that by 10%, seeing where that would take you? And by the way, you'd get to target three months earlier and that, God, that changes the buy-in conversation completely. And, and you know, that there's phenomenally beneficial for enablement and, and for sales leaders and yeah. coaches. Yeah. Well, I think it goes enable in general, not just for coaching, but like I use data when like, like just same situation you're talking about where someone comes to me and says, Hey, we need this content, this training, this, whatever. Um, the last few years I've pushed back and be like, okay, great. What KPI are you expecting to change because of this thing? Yeah. And if they yeah. can't, if they can't define that measurement or tell me how it's going to change it, then they have, they have a really hard time for me getting involved. Cause I'm like, listen, I don't do things unless you can show me how this is going to impact it. And if you can't, we can talk about it and we can brainstorm it. But if you don't, if you're resistant against that, then I'm going to be resistant against the project. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I, so a lot about sort of data that we've talked about, I yeah. think helps drive accountability. Now I was listening to a podcast you were on the other day and accountability came up a lot. Yeah. Where does, where does that relationship between coaching data and accountability kind of come in for, for the success of, of a coaching program? Yeah, so I'm going to go back to my life coaching days for a second. So um, I think a big reason why people in general have coaches of any kind is is the accountability piece. Sports mm -hmm. coaching, life coaching, sales coaching, does not matter what it is. Accountability, you're accountable to someone else besides yourself. Um, usually that's manager in, in a professional environment, but having a coach who's not, who their whole purpose is your performance, not just, you know, the team and all the other things that managers have to do on their plates. Um, but when a coach is all focused on performance, um, then, then you're, <laughs> you're, you're going to get a whole different level. So <clears throat> for me, accountability, I, I heard a quote once um, from a, a, religious, a religious leader that just said that um, when you measure things, performance improves. When you measure and accountable to those things, the performance like doubles. Um, just because, just because you're measuring, like, for example, if you have a dashboard, and you have a sales team, and all you do is show the dashboard and people can see it and you're measuring mm -hmm. things, that alone can motivate someone saying, I don't want to be the bottom, I want to be the top, yeah. right? Just yeah. that alone. Um, and then not only that, but if you have a coach saying, okay, now let's take the dashboard, now let's dive into it more, and really use that to kind of move them forward and keep them accountable to different actions and things they're going to do, then it like puts that on fire because then you're really focused on what you need to do to change the numbers, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, and sometimes I think it doesn't even have to be just the like, quotas and stuff. Like there's times where um, the only thing we were measuring was a rep's happiness level. So I'd ask them, how are you doing today? Eight to 10 or, or, you know, one to 10. And they're like eight, seven, five, whatever. 
And our goal was literally just to change their happiest level because their numbers were fine as far as sales were concerned, you know? So it doesn't always have to be quota driven. It's, it's really whatever's going to help them become better, more happy, more successful, whatever the you know thing they're looking for is. Because then yeah. you can really gain their trust and really impact both them and the team in general. Yeah. And I think that's why it's important to, to pick up what you just said there, you know, is it, defining that end goal is, is almost all of the battle, which is, you know, measurement. What, what is it that we're trying to impact? What is it that right. we're trying to get to? Because in, in that scenario, if it's, we need to improve the happiness of the team, that's a very different metric and therefore walking backwards from that, a very different set of behaviors and skills that we're coaching and focus areas that we're going to start measuring than right. it is if if I need to you know hit quota three months earlier than I did last year or <laughs> right. or I need to up my activity level because I want to get my conversion rates better right. um, so so yeah walking backwards from that that angle and that keeps that also keeps you accountable doesn't it being able to continually get that reality check against where am I at where where am I going to be what how much closer to that end goal am I getting in in order to to achieve and keep you going along that motivational track yeah yeah for me um that data i mean there's so many ways you could you could explain the value of of specific data for enablement of value whether that's a one-on-one coaching situation level playing field to pushing back to a leader to saying hey what's this gonna what's this gonna stop or not and another one where um like i had a conversation with a, a past company i won't say which one where the CEO, I sat down with him before I left and I was like, I need to show you some things. And I showed him the befores and afters of onboarding, of, of the uh, average sale price, all this stuff and said, I've done these 50 things these last two years and this is a result. And he's like, I've never seen these numbers before. I'm like, well, it's not on me because I've told my boss. So <laughs> just want to make sure you know this, but that's, yeah. that's the power behind um, data and measuring and keeping accountable is that um, you're able to show the value of what you can bring as an individual enablement person or a coach or whatever your role is so you can show the impact. And then it gives you feedback too, because sometimes you do things that don't work and that's, I mean, hopefully not nothing too dramatic, but that's a good thing. It's a good thing to have feedback to say, we're not hitting what we want. We got to shift something. Yeah. You know? I love uh, that, that mindset of being able to just say, look, that didn't hit the mark. What else? Let's explore other options. Yeah. And if you're not continually doing that, you can't make those minor adjustments. You can't reflect. You can't say this isn't working. Let's do. Let's work on something else because you don't know whether it's working or not because you didn't set out with that that measurable outcome in mind. You know, and that right. impact. So yeah, no, I love that, and I I really want to call out to anybody listening on on that to not be afraid to to be able to say that didn't work. Because I think when people talk about measurement, it's all about, I've got to prove ROI here. I've got to get to that end goal. I've got to show value. Part of showing value is adjusting and, and having that, that wherewithal and that, in, you know, that insight to say, I can make adjustments earlier to reach that because I can assess what didn't work and move on and improve it and learn from it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I really want, really want people listening to have that, you know, get that confidence to do that. Listen, I have yeah. thoroughly, sorry, go on. Oh, no, I was going to say something real quick. I had a friend of mine who was a, um, a graphic designer at Adobe. So this is a long story. It comes back to what you're saying. The short version is, is that as a graphic designer, part of the iteration process was they knew they had to go through a hundred ideas to get one good one. Mm. Um, and that's in design. And I think so many times in the enablement world or business in general, it's like, you have to hit it. The, the, 
the right thing every time because there's times where you know if you make the wrong decisions you know it could be pretty dire circumstances or or consequences but at the same time i think we do need to give ourselves a little bit more freedom to experiment and try things and use the data in our guts to kind of decide what we need to do and then review monthly and, and just figure out, okay, if we don't see this change within a month or two, we've got to shift gears and change course and not be so connected to what you were doing before to try something new afterwards, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. And just, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more there. And I think on that, that difference between tying yourself to a, you know, a long-term lagging indicator versus identifying the leading indicators that support it allow yeah. you that early freedom to intervene whereas you know waiting till year end and going well that didn't work is a bit like <laughs> yeah i don't do it's that it's a bit like closing the stable door after the horse has bolted right you need to right. know really early on that like, some of the early indications are not are not what we wanted them to be right so let's you know let's learn and iterate and change that yep agreed um, so much, so much I think people have taken um, from today um, and I could carry on talking to you about this topic. As you well know, I love data yeah. and, and uh, coaching, but I just want to summarize. I think there's a, there's a few like just real nuggets I took from that. Sure. Um, one is, is uh, enablement alignment with, with sales. I think I loved when you talked about the fact that actually your enablement is aligned with the, what the customer needs, which is which is really fascinating, which means it bleeds all the way through and everything is aligned to that. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that that's really key. That accountability and, and, and holding accountable is is really key. And I've written down <laughs> written down a summary note here. Data is your friend, which I I feel like <laughs> thread through through all of that um, and, right. you know, and all of the things and, and helps you control the controllables and focus in the right places. Um, and then the final thing I wrote down is, is, is that whole person is, is being able to take that piece of data, but identify and, and how to transition into coaching that whole person that you talked about earlier mm. um, dependent on their goals, which, which I absolutely love. So thank you so much. I think people will have got an enormous amount out, of the, uh, out today. Uh, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, Coach K, how do they go about doing that? Uh, best way is on LinkedIn. The The handle is JMKMBA is my handle on LinkedIn mm -hmm. or just Jonathan Kavarford. If you can spell right, it's fine. Um, <laughs> and put a plug in for you guys. Like uh, if I could say one last thing, which is using an amazing tool. If it could measure competencies of some kind, using your system in an easy fashion with a great team over uh, across the pond. I may have someone you could talk to about that because I, I can't wait to have a team. I can actually try your stuff on. I'm just, I'm just telling you, it's, I'm excited. Oh, thank you so much for the compliment, Coach K. That means a lot coming from you. Um, and thank you to everybody who's listening. You have been listening to uh, an episode of My Biggest Sales Enablement Mistake podcast. See you again soon. Thank you.